starting in verse 6, Galatians 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you, want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what we have received, let him be accursed. Paul says this twice. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your spirit to move mightily, as you already have through prayer, now you would with the word, that it would settle deep in our hearts, and Lord, we'd hear it, receive it, apply it, and grow in it, for this is your desire for your children, this family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm pretty sure that everyone in this room prefers to drink pure, clean water whenever possible, like this glass here. You, just because you see your dog drink out of a puddle and any other available water source, doesn't entice you to join the dog and say, hey, let me try that, right? When we were in Guatemala a few weeks back, we only drank certified spring water or certified purified water, and it had to be bottled and sealed. You want to hear that click, right? The tap water that came out of the sink... It looked the same to our eyes, but we were warned it was not the same. And we believed that warning. We heeded that warning. Even a tiny bit of tap water in some countries on your toothbrush can make you sick for several days. Did you know that? Even a little bit on the toothbrush. In some countries, that uh, the organisms there can be that strong but not visible to the naked eye. Ironically, People that grow up there can drink it because they have they've developed this kind of a system that actually um, receives it. But if you're coming in and you try that, not a good thing. And brothers and sisters, there's only one gospel that's certified and sealed by the blood of Jesus. Any substitutes are worse than imperfect; they're poison, and the world's full of these substitutes. Satan is in the business of offering tainted but attractive options in lieu of the genuine gospel. He's for centuries convinced people that what he's offering them is exactly what they need without any harmful side effects. And just like the traveler that ignores the water warning, the consequences are inevitable. In the case of the gospel, they're eternal. If you're taking notes, as you see on the screen, I've titled our time of the word this morning, A Pure Gospel. And this is what Paul will point to throughout the entire epistle, is a pure gospel. There's only one gospel. And it's pure, and you can trust it, you can lean on it, you can stand on it, you can build the foundation of your life on it. And he starts off here in verse 6, as we looked at last week, he gave this greeting, which was a reminder from God, which was, hey, as I greet you, 
It was the only time that he didn't give the pleasantries he normally does, but he did say grace and peace, and we looked at that last week, and he, he reminded them of the foundation of everything they have came from God, the goodness of their salvation, the grace, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of those things came from God. But Paul says here in verse 6, he, switch, he switches gears and says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. If you're taking notes, I'm going to start off this first point, if you're taking notes, what I've titled a sad turn. It's a sad reality that the gospel of grace, the tr- true gospel of Jesus, is embraced by many only to be, so many people embrace the gospel, only to be discarded, neglected, or traded in for something else as time goes by. And this situation, it wasn't just as time goes by, it seemed to happen rather quickly. This is what Paul is most amazed at, that he goes, how did you, how did you turn away so fast? When I, when I last saw you, you were walking in the faith, and boom, sharp, hard turn. You ever drive, and all of a sudden you have a turn you're not expecting, it's a hard left or a hard right, and they had taken a quick U-turn away from the very gospel that they had believed in. And it seemed to happen rather quickly. Jesus, in the parable of the sower, you're all familiar with memory, uh, it's one of the foundational parables, and he said, if you don't understand that parable, how will you understand all the other parables? But Jesus, in the parable of the sower, he made it really clear that many will respond to the gospel at first in a positive way. Didn't he say that? Yeah, he said, that, he said that some will even respond and receive the gospel with joy. Wow, this is great news. I can be forgiven. This is great news. God would actually adopt me as family. But he says that many will only endure for just a while. They won't stay. They'll go back. They'll want something other than what Jesus provides. And Paul marvels of course, at how soon, but I believe he marvels that they would leave it all together. He's personally astounded that anyone would want to leave the love, the purity, and the grace of Jesus for something artificial. Man, aren't you tired of artificial in this world? Paul says, why would you leave the real thing to go for something artificial? I, I'm more and more now, almost everything, food, I look at, is this real or is it artificial? Right? By the way, when I was a kid, we didn't have all organic stuff. You've got Twinkies. Right? You've got Kool-Aid. I don't know how many dyes are in that stuff. We had that dude running around the commercials that was in the picture, shape of a pitcher. It was all artificial. My grandmother's 90-some years old and drank all that stuff. We're more concerned about that kind of artificial, but this is something that really the artificial is a problem. I'm not saying the food stuff is or isn't. I'm just saying that when it comes to the gospel, you want the real thing, and it matters a lot more than whether you have organic chocolate or not. Paul marvels, though. You want something artificial, Now you're going to turn to something that can't save you and can't give you peace. Wow. Paul said, did did you forget everything you were told? Look closely at the first half of verse 6. 
I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him. When anyone turns from the gospel, they are turning from Jesus himself. They're not just turning from the gospel. They're turning from Jesus. You might, see, you might meet someone who says something along these lines. I don't read my Bible anymore because I just got a lot on my plate. I don't go to church these days because I'm too busy. I don't get to pray much because I just don't have the time. I don't really share my faith because I don't see any real opportunities to do so. Such a person hasn't turned away from the things of Jesus. They've turned away from Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. They have not turned away from the things of the Bible. They've turned away from the one who wrote the Bible. Now, are they saved? Ultimately, God knows. That's not for me to make that determination or not. God is the one that knows. But if they have drifted or slidden back, which can happen, Christians really can backslide, and Paul no doubt hopes this is the case. Wouldn't you agree? That's what he hopes is the case. He hopes that they've had a temporary lapse. But if they have drifted back, and they respond to the chasing of the Spirit, and they respond to spiritual counsel, and they receive the truth and the conviction of the words of Christ, then, and only then, are they responding as sheep that wandered off, but when they hear their shepherd, they wisely come back home. Right? This is Paul's hope. He's hope that they've wandered off. He's hope that they've stepped away, but like a sheep that does get caught in the thicket, is willing to come back with the shepherd. If they refuse, week after week, month after month, year after year in the same state, and maybe even a worse state as time goes by, with the same reasons and the same beliefs and the same excuses, then the question is, are they really sheep that belong to Jesus? Again, not my question to answer, but God poses the question in the Scriptures. Jesus poses it. Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Right? They follow him. And he says, I know them. He also says that those sheep know him too. Charles Spurgeon said, I cannot comprehend a gospel which lets saints fall away after they are called. The real saint, the real saint, they might slip, they might wander off. What are you doing in the river, the shepherd says? Rivers can drown you. Shepherd takes what, the hook, grabs the sheep. How many of you have ever had Jesus take the hook and pull you back? He's done me. Many times I've felt that hook. I've felt the other end of the staff too. How about that? Sheep get whacked by the shepherd. If Jesus whacks you, you won't have to have everyone else whacking you. That's a good thing. He will pull us back. Because we are prone to wander, but the Holy Spirit's there. See, Jesus alone, he's the only one that knows his sheep. Again, we're not out saying, all right, I've got to figure out. 
Are you really saved? He knows his sheep. John 10, 14, John 10, 16. But he also said this. Matthew 7, 16, Matthew 7, 20. He said, by their fruits, we would know. He said both. Why would Paul, think about it, why would Paul even write this letter? Think about this for just a second before we move on. Why in the world would Paul even write this letter? Here's why. Because the fruit didn't look right. That makes sense? He wrote the letter because the fruit didn't look right. He says, something's wrong up there in Galatia. The turning away from what they formerly walked in was visible to a spiritual man like Paul. And if you're a spiritual man or woman, it should be visible to you when someone walks away from the faith. You should not say, what? I don't, I don't know. No. You would see a total... Those of you that are parents... Can't you tell when your kids are acting strange? Right? They're not acting right. Now, I think I'll wait until something goes really wrong to ask them about it. No. Paul's trying to intercede now before it gets really bad. He notices that the fruit doesn't look right. When we see our brothers and sisters, those in church, when we see them drift away, walk away, turn away, family of God, we cannot sit idly and do nothing. You can't sit by and do nothing. Paul will write in this same letter, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, and listen to what he says, in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. You who are spiritual in this room, you who are mature believers filled with the love of the Holy Spirit, You and I are to act as humble ambassadors for Jesus. You might might say to someone that you know, man, man, it doesn't look right. Fruit's changed. Hey, what's going on in your life? It's a good place to start. Just ask an open-ended question. What's going on in your life? Hey, I miss seeing you. Is everything okay? Well, really, it's not. We can't make a person turn back. Those of you that are praying for your kids to come to Christ, you can't make them come to Christ. Amen? Amen. You can't make a person come back. You can't make them come back to the grace that Paul mentions here in verse 6. But we can be effective ambassadors sent by Jesus with a message from Jesus. I can't make a person get saved either, but I can't make a person come back into the fold. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try that we shouldn't write a note, that we shouldn't write a letter like Paul does here, that we shouldn't reach out. If they refuse, they're not refusing you or me. They're refusing who? Jesus. Jesus said, it's not you they reject, it's me. He said that to the disciples. You're going to deal with this at times. And one more item before we move on. Paul emphasizes you've been called in grace. Called in the grace of Christ. The same grace that saved us, the same grace that keeps us, Cures us, protects us. But if you stop appreciating grace, this is important because that we don't drift away like the Galatians did. If you stop appreciating grace and you stop being humbled by it, you can find yourself attracted to license, which means you're attracted to things that just feel good. Or you can be attracted to law, legalism, doisms. Take a look at the next 
verse here. Now, at the end of verse 6, he says, to a different gospel, we'll pick it up there, into verse 7. So the latter uh, four words in verse 6. To a different gospel, in verse 7, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And I've titled, as we look at this next point, a subtle change. Paul mentions this different gospel, and then he says, which is not another. What does he mean by that? Well, what Paul is saying is there are pseudo-gospels, but there's only one true gospel. We can understand how this works. We might call something fool's gold, which if you remember from your geology class classes, is pyrite. You can call something fool's gold. It has the name of gold in it, but we understand that it's not actually gold, right? It has the word gold in it, but it's, not, it's a pseudo-gold. It's not the real thing. You can take pyrite and try and cash it in, and you're not going to get much. The gospel means good news. Anything other than the gospel that's given by Jesus actually isn't good news. It would be called deceptive news. There's only one gospel. There's only one set of good news. Everything else is a lie. That's what Satan's been doing from the beginning. God offers this. Satan says, take a look at this. We study the Word of God for a number of reasons. But primary among them are to keep growing in grace. Keep grow- it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, but keep growing in grace. This well will never run dry, the Scriptures. You'll keep learning. You live to be 100, you'll still keep growing in grace. And we study the Bible. Another primary reason is to be protected from error. Hence, It's called the whole armor of God. We're to put on the armor of God to be protected. Jesus, Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan? How did he handle in the wilderness everything Satan did? A verse. Another verse. Another verse. Jesus didn't have to quote Scripture because anything he said became Scripture. And yet he still did. So we would know how to handle Attacks, adversity, distortions with the scriptures. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. Not just hear it, keep it. If you really know the gospel, if you know the word of God, if you believe the word of God, and you love the word of God, and you love the Son of God, you'll know a different gospel when you hear it. FBI agents that know counterfeit, they're not fooled by the dollar. They don't have to take the, the, the uh, what's that kind of special highlighter that kind of can show if it's fake or not fake. They just can feel the difference. That's what God wants us to be able to see the difference between the uh, different perversion of the gospel and the real gospel. In verse 7, he says that there were uh, then among them, and there still are today, those that pervert the gospel. Well, how does someone pervert the gospel? Well, aside from a wholesale replacement, complete replacement of it, there's the subtle and not-so-subtle adding to it. We see this with Jehovah's Witness. We see this with Mormonism, where they take elements of the Bible and they add things or they subtract things. And all these forms are perverting the gospel, and the word here, pervert, means to change. The Greek word means to change it. A common American gospel, 
that starts with some biblical truth but has modifications and subtractions to it, ends up what I might call this. This is a common American gospel. The sinner's prayer got my eternal airfare. Now I can do whatever I care. Right? Sinner's prayer got my eternal airfare. Now I can do whatever I care. Version of the gospel. Now this version actually cannot be found in the scriptures. It's nowhere to be found in your Bible. But it is perpetrated... And, compl- and passed down from generation to generation even, within households. By many who call themselves Christians, and they're holding on to it because it seems like the perfect deal. And Americans, we love a good deal, especially a combo package deal. And this combo package, like the old Burger King commercials used to say, and you get to have it your way. You simply say this prayer, then you're going to heaven, you still remain Here's the the best part of this combo American pseudo-gospel deal. You get to remain complete control and complete charge of your life, but Jesus has your back, and he'll give you the keys to your place in heaven once you've had a long, successful life and you've fulfilled all your dreams. The American dream gospel, I call it. Nowhere to be found in Scripture, but... Many believe in it. And who wouldn't? Because if all that were true, that seems like a pretty good deal. But that doesn't sound at all like Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't sound the same, does it? It doesn't sound at all like 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. It doesn't sound like 1 Corinthians 6. 19 and 20, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. By the way, our brothers and sisters in persecuted nations, they would not recognize the American dream gospel, because they don't even experience a little bit of it. We do have a lot of blessings here that other people don't have, that's true. But we have to remember we're not in charge of our life. We're not even charged the word. You know we're going to give an account of every word that comes out of our mouth? Every word. So we better be really careful what we light up Facebook with, what we say to someone, what we text to somebody, what we say, because we're not in control of our life. We say, Lord, what would you have me say? Sometimes he might say, say nothing. Just give someone a hug. Just put your arm around them. We're not in control of our own life. If we have really been saved, we become under the service of Christ. And we say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Here I am, send me. Understand that the gospel that ignores sin and judgment, the very reasons that Jesus suffered and died, one that emphasizes spoken prayer but neglects repentance, one that emphasizes the grace to be saved, but not the grace to be transformed, this is a deluded gospel. It's not the gospel that Jesus preached. It's not the gospel that the apostles delivered. The power in that case has been replaced by a placebo. Power gone, placebo instead. And rather than radically change lives, you end up with people who are indistinguishable from the world, with the exception of some Christianese speak. British evangelist Leonard Ravenhill, 
There's not been many like him, by the way. Who preached for several decades. Uh, from, he was born in 1907, died in 1994. But he preached for several decades. And he was convinced that the vast majority of professing Christians in America and in England were not born again. He said, listen, if a man is really born again of the Spirit of God, it is the most radical thing this side of eternity. He becomes a new creature. He has a new heart. He has a new mind. That's true. Do you believe that? Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. Doesn't mean we don't, but we don't think the same anymore. Matter of fact, when we start to think like the world, we run from ourselves even. Right? You ever say, why am I thinking this? I don't want to think this, right? Because the new mind in us is stirred up. Now, for the Galatians, though, they were introduced to a different type of modification of the gospel. It wasn't this American dream gospel, go do anything you want. They actually got introduced to a bondage type. They had come to Christ. The majority of these Galatians would have been pagan Gentiles. There, there certainly could have been some Jewish uh, believers in this Galatian church, but the majority of them, the way Paul frames the letter, especially in chapter 2, he said he was sent specifically to the Gentiles. Uh, we, we understand that he is saying that the majority of this church is Gentile. They came from a pagan background. They had been delivered from sin. They had come to know the freedom from guilt, the freedom of the bond of sin, and they have this new life in Christ. Everything is good. They're now walking in Jesus. And then, as they're walking this newness, newness of life in Christ, some visitors arrive. And they most certainly, they're most certainly Jewish. Um, we believe that they... Uh, Jewish from whether they were from a nearby area or whether they came up from Jerusalem, we don't really know. We know that in Acts chapter 15, that men similar to this came from Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, uh, is, is the uh, center there of Judea. They had come from Judea up to Antioch to add to Paul's teaching. So we know that this happened. Uh, it's listed for us in Acts chapter 15. So very similar situation here. Men come or uh, these visitors come. Likely, they uh, are Jewish, and uh, they come essentially as teachers. Say, hey, we've heard you guys have come to be Christians. We've come to give you the other stuff that you didn't learn yet. Basically, they said something that would kind of go like this. Hey, Paul gave you the Jesus part of salvation, but he left out the Mosaic law part of your salvation. In other words, you're halfway there. That's basically what they received. So if you follow those important elements of the law, and us, your teachers, then you can be saved. And they believed it. They thought, oh, well, okay. I guess we do need to... Paul didn't share any of this. Paul said we were gent. Paul knew we were Gentiles, and he didn't tell us to start putting on yarmulkes and uh, go get circumcised and all this other stuff and whatever they would do. He didn't tell us any of this stuff. Well, Paul left a few things out. By the way, Paul's quite angry about this in this letter. Why is there so much tremendous effort to undermine 
true faith by these individuals and to add the law and Jewish elements. And what, what would make them travel or just really put the time and energy to their own curriculum and say, you guys need this? Why is there so much effort on their part to do this? Pastor David Guzik out Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, he said, he said this, and I think it's so true. He said, it is hard for us to understand sometimes, but there is something about the message of the true gospel that is deeply offensive to human nature. Let me read that one more time. And you'll wonder why all your family doesn't love you at the Christmas uh, family gathering. It is hard for us to understand sometimes. But there is something about the message of the true gospel that is deeply offensive to human nature. The main reason for this is pride. Our works add absolutely nothing to our salvation. You could spend your entire life doing every good deed you can possibly think of, and it wouldn't earn you one second in heaven. The Bible says our righteousness filthy rags. Good works will absolutely follow someone who is saved. So don't be misunderstood. I don't, I don't want to be misunderstood. Good works will follow someone who is saved, but no amount of works bring salvation. But man, before he gets saved, man takes great pride in his accomplishments. We see this in people running for office. They're very proud. I don't know why they're proud of their record, but then anyway, they... We see this in athletes. We see this in business people. We see, they're very proud of what they've accomplished. Look at what a... You ever go in someone's office and they got all their degrees on the wall? They're very proud of what they've done. And religiously, people are really proud of, look, I am better. This is what the Pharisees thought. We are so much better than these publicans and sinners. And along comes Jesus... And remember, Jesus was Jewish. He first came to the Jewish people, but he obliterated the lie and the pride of works that so many Jewish authorities had trusted in. They had built an entire system on their pride and their reputations. And Jesus obliterates it, and they killed him because they hated that he taught a message of faith and faith alone. That he wasn't impressed by all of their gatherings and all of their rituals and all of the things that they did. It's been said the best way to destroy a movement is to adopt it and then subvert it. Take a look ahead at verse 4 in chapter 2. Just Let's go ahead for chapter 2 just for a second because this is what Paul speaking. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. There it is. Men that have achieved a power state or men or women, whatever, that have a power state of their own religiosity, their own accomplishments, they have built a little fortress of their own kingdoms. When they see it collapse with the resurrection of Jesus, say, that, well, we need to kind of join the movement, so to speak, slip in and take it over. Retake the reins of control. That's why they've done this. If they have to travel to Galatia, they have to travel down to Alexander, Egypt, they have to... Remember, Paul was traveling to Damascus to imprison Christians himself. 
He was willing to travel to another country to not let these roots get in. And so these guys have taken a more sneaky approach. They came in subtly as false teachers. Hey, we believe in Jesus too. But you need all this other stuff. And then they can control people the same way the Pharisees did before. This was their aim. They quickly turned the Galatians from a pure faith to a works-based faith. And look at Paul's response. Well, it's a strong, strong warning, isn't it? Paul says, But even if I or an angel from heaven preach you any other gospel, then what you have preached, let him be accursed. As we said before, and I say now again, anyone preaches any other gospel than what you receive, let him be accursed. Here's the essence of what Paul is saying. Run from anyone or anything proclaiming a new or addition to the gospel. Even if a pastor or a leader has been trusted for years, if they start to contradict the word of God and the gospel of God, turn off the TV set. Reject it. I don't care if they've been respected for years. If they start to preach a different gospel, they're off the rails, right? And Paul said they're accursed. Let them be accursed, that they actually have blasphemed God and they're under the intense judgment of God to come upon them. There's a great judgment waiting for those that have perverted the gospel and willingly have misled people. In the demonic realm that left heaven, they're going to be accursed, but so will many other false prophets and many false pastors and many false teachers and many false religions that have taken the pure gospel and have added to it. It's even worse for those that are doing that than people that are just card-carrying heathens. Paul says, even if an angel from heaven comes with some other form of the gospel, refuse it. You know, people, uh, you've seen the stories, you've seen the, uh, the, the, whether being interviewed or whatever, people that have had these supposed visions of Mary or visions of angels, or they even people that died that they said they spoke to a dead relative or whatever. Yeah, they may have indeed connected with the spirit world, but which spirit? Right? Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. I don't care. Paul said, if an angel pops up on the stage right now, and you are amazed at its light, and it starts preaching a different gospel, just keep listening to me and don't listen to the angel. Right? But you know, a lot of people start listening to the angel because it's supernatural. And God is saying through Paul, ignore the messenger and make sure you're hearing the message. Conversely, if I start speaking a false gospel, you better reject me and anyone else. Satan's level of deception is far superior to that of mankind. Understand who we're dealing with. Do you know Satan is, has vastly more intelligence than the most intelligent people you can possibly think of on planet Earth? He, he's not impressed by the intellect. Stephen Hawkins or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs when he was alive or whatever else. He has far higher intelligence. Do you know that Satan also has 6,000 years of studying human behavior? Do you know he, 
He can push buttons in America so easy. He knows how to make every single group come unhinged. He knows what works. He knows how to exploit every possible weakness. Add to that, Satan also has powers that he can use. He really does. Remember, he took Jesus all over, said, I'll give you the kingdom of the world. Jesus didn't refute it. He took Jesus on a high mountain. How do you do that? He's called Prince of the Power of the Air. Satan, that's why some people have sold their soul to Satan. And they've actually received financial benefit or pleasures or whatever else. He does have power. Don't, don't be mistaken. But he's a gnat compared to God. He's a gnat. And that's actually the... He's less than that, but I can't think of anything smaller that actually moves around with some bit of life. But his power of deception is effectiveness compared to us, well, compared to us, his power is vastly more than we have. Intellect more than all of our brain power combined. We're, he's, like, uh, he, he's like a grown adult and we're like a six-month-old baby. But not if we have the Word of God in our hand. We have a more than equalizer. We have the Holy Spirit. And we know truth, and we know truth. He can be defeated. We can actually rebuke him just like Jesus did. And he uses all that he has to twist and deceive and to impress, and he has plenty of willing pawns to work with. And down through the centuries, he's had a lot of them, and he has more coming. And as the return gets Christ gets nearer, he'll have some other pawns that will do even more damage than any of the previous ones. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 24. False Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive even if possible, the elect. A day is coming when you're going to see people that will name the name of Christ that will do some crazy things. You're saying, wow. But what comes out of their mouth, if it isn't the pure gospel, stay far, far, far away. Jesus said that. He said they're going to do great things, but he'll someday say, depart, I never knew you. Church, let's not be deceived. Let's know the word of God. And let's demonstrate his love and his truth and humility. And let me say something else as we come near the end here. I, I, think, I think many people are getting tired of deception. Many people are tired of being lied to by politicians, by business leaders, by the media, by, yes, even some pastors and religious leaders, by family members, by the junk mail that you get. You name it. Truth, when it is rare, becomes more valuable. The more rare it is, the more valuable it becomes. Like a precious metal. This church is far from perfect. I hope we continue to grow and mature in every possible way. I'm far from perfect. And like you, I'm still growing. I'm still growing as a Christian, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. But one thing I've seen, and I believe we'll see more and more in these days in which we live in, is that people looking for truth can find it here. They can. Why? Not, not, we're not special or anything like that. Because we're simply opening the Word of God, we're applying what it says, not what we want it to say, what it says. And then we're seeing, expecting God to bless it in our lives. And I believe people will tire of being lied to 
and lied to because they're not getting peace and they're not getting rest anyway through all that stuff. They're getting a runaround and they're on their way to hell in the process. Last thing Paul says, last sentence here, verse 10. For do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This is a simple fact. If you want to be a bondservant of Christ, you can only be a bondservant of Christ by doing what Jesus says. And he has already written it. We don't change it. We're nothing but a messenger. We're like the U.S. Postal Service. What you mail is what we deliver. Jesus, you put it in my hand, I'll hand it to so-and-so. Theodore Roosevelt, he said, it's better to be faithful than famous. That's true, isn't it? When we meet Jesus, he'll say what? Well done, good and famous servant. No, faithful servant. Not impressed by, oh, you've got 15,000 people at your church. You've got a, a host of people watching and you've written 80 books. Jesus, that, none of that stuff matters to God. Faithful. Some little widow that no one knew that gave two mites that never had any ministry will be counted more faithful than many pastors. That's a fact. Paul had given up his prior titles. He gave up his position. He gave up his esteem in Jerusalem to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But those that were troubling the Galatians, these guys were still mired in pride and personal ambition. The way Paul frames the question, for do I now persuade men? Or do I now seek to please men? The way he frames it seems to suggest that those that are perverting the gospel were not only against the true gospel, but like the Pharisees, they loved being looked up to and they wanted to bring people into bondage. So who? They could be their leaders. Do you know that people that want to bring you into bondage also want to run your life? This is true in politics. It's true in everything. It's true in business. It's true in religious circles. Paul didn't want to run their life. He wanted the Holy Spirit to run their life. Does that make sense? I don't want to run your life. You don't want to know everything in my life. I don't want to know that. We've got a lot going on in your own, own world, right? There's some people that would want to micromanage everything. But I want the Holy Spirit to micromanage our life. If you want to please mankind rather than God, You'll have to change the gospel because man won't accept this gospel with a lot of popularity. If it was, the apostles wouldn't have all been executed except for John, and they tried to kill him too. And if we change the gospel, we're not servants of Christ, but we're rather servants of darkness. Think about it. Who is it that wanted to change the word of God in the garden? Satan. And he still wants to change and poison the gospel today. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of Satan. Under, the Bible says the wicked one. But servants of Christ are not under his sway. We are not under his sway and control, Christian. Yes, we're subject to his attacks. Yes, we're bombarded by his accusations. Yes, we're assaulted by his attempts to twist and deceive. We're at times weird and fatigued, amen? And we're tempted to turn tail on the Lord and say exactly what the broad road of the world says, and temporarily be loved and appreciated by men, but the Holy Spirit sustains us, doesn't he? He says, you can't go that way. That's, that's a dead-end road. You've already been down that road. That's a dead man's road. You are in life now. The true servant of Christ is held and reminded by the Spirit. 
You and I can't be men pleasers and lady pleasers. We can be peacemakers, yes, we're called to. We can be instruments of reconciliation, especially in the days we live in, yes. We can be bearers of truth and love, yes. But pleasers of men, no. Paul was bought by Jesus, and so are we. Jesus loves all men and all women, and he did, but he did not come to please people or placate them. He came to save them. Does that make sense? He did not come to please the world, but to save the world. If he came to please the world, he could have done all kinds of things in trinkets. But he came to save, seek and save. When we submitted to Christ, when we submitted to his gospel, we submitted to the fact that he will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His gospel of salvation through his blood and his resurrection will never change. The only thing that will continue to change, if we remain soft and pliable, is us more and more into his image. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we, Lord, we're humbled by your gospel. We're saved by it. And Lord, we need to continue to be protected by it and changed by it. Lord, the enemy, we would think, well, that could never happen here. That could never happen to us. And yes, Lord, it could. You said it was, it was possible even the elect could be deceived. Lord, we pray that we just fall more in love with you and your word. And Lord, we can spot a counterfeit. But Lord, those that are trapped in the counterfeits, even if it's just the counterfeit of materialism or anything else, Lord, help us to love them, to pray for them, and to reach out to them. Because you came not to please, but you certainly did come to seek and save. And you've given us that same responsibility to carry the same message. Lord, in this room, if we get caught up in the bondage of works, Lord, help us to run back to grace. If we get caught up in doing our own thing, let us run back to grace. For Lord, you desire that we be free and free indeed, and our lives would be full of peace and joy because we're worshiping you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, why don't you stand as we close in song?